Welcome, welcome, my lovies, to Faces of Postpartum, the podcast. I'm Ariane Audet, writer, photographer, advocate, and founder of the project. In this podcast, I feature postpartum stories from parents, informal discussions with friends about parenthood, and interviews with passionate providers and experts. Everything here is honest, raw, and heartfelt. So stick around one more time for some unfiltered talks about the postpartum period. It's always an honor to have you here. So it's Yagama. Am I pronouncing yeah. it right? Okay. Yeah, you actually are, which is very rare. <laughs> well, maybe it's my French Canadian. You know, we pronounce a. How do you, how do people usually pronounce your name? Well, Western people usually say Yagama. And I'm just so used to it that I'm just not, I don't even correct it because I'm just used to it. I don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so you say Western people, is it because in the East it's another pronunciation? Well, I come from Bulgaria and I'm actually mixed. So I'm like Bulgarian, Russian, Jewish. And in our folklore, there's this witch called Baba Yaga. It's a witch that lives in a house on chicken legs which is actually what the old Slavic houses used to look like, because especially like over in Russia, the, the forests were very boggy, so they built the, the houses on legs. And she, in, in the stories, she usually eats little children. But actually, the analysis of this, there's this really good uh, fol- folklore guy who studied and analyzed folklore, kind of Jungian, called Vladimir Prok. And... His analysis, which I totally agree with, is that it's actually an initiation story because usually the the children or the the women, the girls that don't get eaten, which is usually the protagonist, the protagonist doesn't get eaten, the protagonist gets actually an advice or a magical object from from the Baba Yaga that helps her on her quest. So Mm -hmm. it's actually kind of an initiation thing, maybe a vestige of an initiation thing um, where girls turn to women so I had this Baba Yaga chase me uh, in my dreams when I was a child and I was convinced if she ca- catches me I'm gonna get eaten and I'm gonna die for real that I was sure about that to be honest on some level I'm still pretty sure about that and so but actually what happened that when I around the time I was a teenager because this kept plaguing me I mean I had like it was non-stop and when I was kind of entering into being a teenager, I just thought, I'm, I'm just tired of this. and I'm just going to let her eat me. And then, then I just woke up. Like, I know she caught me. I don't remember if she ate me, but I know I let her catch me. And then when I woke up, I realized, okay, now I've become the Baba Yaga. So I've been carrying this in me all my life. So I am Baba Yaga in a sense but Baba means grandmother so obviously I'm not a grandmother anymore and for now I'm the Mama Yaga. <laughs> Mama Yaga so it's 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 nice because usually it's like the male you know you we have the male protagonist that is going to go on a quest and you're they're going to get clues and you know become a man and you know the warrior initiations and all these things and now you're telling me that there's actually a female variation of that and I love it and so maybe by becoming a metaphorical symbolical grandmother you are actually initiating younger women to become women themselves and empower them yeah yeah I mean it took me a while to initiate myself and yeah actually my daughter's name is Vasilisa and Vasilisa is the protagonist of a lot of stories with the Baba Yaga there you go. There you go. Yeah. She's like, a, she's kind of like a really magical and wise being. So she, they call her Vasilisa the wise or the Vasilisa the beautiful, both. Mm-hmm. And she, she's, she commands like a lot of magical powers. And she's actually the one saving the prince. Right. With the help of the Baba Yaga. <laughs> Your folklore sounds so much better than mine. These things were lost. I think everybody has them, but it was just these yeah. layers of oppression and patriarchy and witch hunting. All right. So let's start with your daughter. So how, let me pronounce her name right. Vasilis. Vasilisa. Vasilisa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how old is she? She's one year, five months. She, no, one year and six months. And she's oh. going to be... One year and seven months soon. And how was that journey of getting pregnant, the birth, the postpartum period? I can tell you the story because I I think it's, it's, I really like to share because it's connected to the story of my femininity. I'll start kind of far back, but you'll see the connection. 
when I was, and then you'll see the connection also with my project actually, and the, my obsession with vagina, then like everything's connected. So yeah, when I was, when I started menstruating, I had massive, massive period pain. I mean, really bad. And it just got worse and worse and worse. Like I've, I've laid down in the middle of the street with pain, not caring if I'm going to be run over by a car and I had to have people drag me off. I've been taken to a hospital with like, um, you know, injections that kept me high, like really like high, like on some kind of drug, like heroin or morphine uh, for days, like where I was just walking in a fog, but I could still feel the pain. So it was pretty serious pain. And also I, because of the environment I was growing up with in, which is, you know, there was a lot of hollering and, you know, I've, I had, I also was, you know, I was the subject of a pedophile um, attempt several times. I had to escape that. I did escape that, but it did traumatize me because it was also several times. One time it was a family friend. I didn't even tell my parents until like recently. And um, yeah, all of this, like you're walking down the street, you're 13 and there's these old people shouting, oh, look at that cunt walking. And, like you know it's disgusting it's literally like and disgusting. and where was it i grew up mostly like in bulgaria i was also in the soviet union a bit but in bulgaria so i didn't want to be a mother i didn't want to be a, a, a mother i didn't want to be a woman to begin with i actually wanted to change my sex to change my gender i wanted to become a man even though i'm definitely not transgender i'm bisexual but i'm in no means i'm totally female presenting female feeling you know i've never had doubts about that but I didn't want to be a woman and came to some really like, um, yeah, I had this, this real conflict in me. And then what happened was I started nurturing unconsciously at first, and it took me years to realize this, but I started nurturing the masculine part in me, which is what I think a lot of people do who are, you know, willing to get somewhere, or just do something or just be creative. I think this is kind of a plague on, on, on women in, in our society. I didn't know this back then, but I know this now. And it was a real, you know, I kind of, I realized I was suppressing my, my feminine and the more I did it, the, the worse the pain got as well. So throughout my adult life afterwards, I always had this pain and I always, um, I always suppressed this feminine side, right? I wanted, you know, I wanted to be an artist. So I, you know, I wanted to be a free person. You know, I was into spirituality, but for me, like, I didn't realize that, that I'm suppressing this soft and gentle part of myself. This like, you know, the receptive part, which, you know, just the part that just sits in the dark and just lies around. It doesn't have to do anything. And and then in, in 2012, I had like a serious emotional issue. And then I was already involved in different spiritual practices. But then I met, I met two teachers that were very important to me. One is in a, in a left-hand tantric line that I'm still practicing. And the other one is a, a Blackfoot medicine man who lives in Germany. And I've been working with both of them for many years. And, and then I started on this journey of healing my feminine also working with uh, a, a female shaman um, medicine woman from Ecuador and I realized I started realizing that this is what's going on that I'm suppressing this this feminine side of me and uh, I started really working on this and it took me quite a few and, and and at the same time I didn't want children right that's the thing I forgot to mention is I, I was totally I didn't want children for various reasons. Some of them were like, you could say selfish, but you know, you know, I didn't want my time to be taken up. I had no illusions that your life will change. I didn't think it's going to be all pink and fluffy because, you know, I hadn't seen pink and fluffy. So I didn't have those illusions, but I, I was very kind of negative about the future of the world. You know, I thought we're, what we're doing is uh, we're just consuming and it's absolutely unsustainable consuming on a planet that is, you know, you cannot have infinite economic growth on a planet that's not infinitely growing. It's, it's pretty obvious to me. I don't know how it's not obvious to big bearded economists, right? So I was really not not believing in the future. That's the other thing. Plus, you know, I've always been like sometimes suicidal and so on. And and also I yeah, I thought it was kind of selfish to have children because uh, you know, the motive where people say, well, it gives you a meaning to life. I never found that satisfying. Also, I never found this the idea that you're going to have a child and 
So this, this way you live forever, that has not been satisfying to me either because all of my creative energy was anyway going into art. So it's not like I had no creative outlet, which, you know, the child is the ultimate creative outlet, but I didn't, didn't feel like this energy is stuck or has nowhere to go. It was constantly flowing all my life. So I didn't want to have a child. I thought it was actually irresponsible to have a child. And then through all this work that I did, uh, starting in 2012, really going very deep, also Vipassana and all kinds of, you know, practices that, you know, they all converge and they, they told me the same thing. And um, yeah, then I realized I'm ready to have a child somehow. And then I got pregnant by this uh, person that we didn't really even have a relationship. It was more of a kind of a summer affair. So it was, it was quite, quite impressive because I got pregnant on the first night of the opening of my collective. I'm a co-founder of a collective called Holy Cunt here in Berlin. And <laughs> this is so amazing. I'm not yeah. talking too much because I'm like, let's just flow. It's too great. <laughs> just talk a lot but yeah holy cunt is an amazing collective of women absolutely amazing and it's growing and one of them is also a doula she was one of the first doulas in ireland one of the first batch of doulas well she was in the first sort so to say batch of doulas educated in in ireland and she's actually quite an amazing person i, I love to talk about her because she's an amazing artist as well and she also channels this 70 something year old vulva called growler who she basically kind of you know she she dresses as this vulva and one of our other team members i actually introduced the two i'm very proud she makes the costume and the, the props and so she basically like fall you know she it's, it's a performance, but it's also quite healing and shamanic. And she works a lot. She's from Ireland. So she works a lot with this ancestral healing of all the Tuam babies and all this kind of stuff. This is like really, really close to her heart. And this is what she's doing. So she was my doula. She became my doula. And so during the pregnancy it was COVID. And Actually, it was good that it was COVID because I didn't feel like I'm missing anything and I'm used to being alone anyway. And I just, you know, I did Tai Chi every day, did yoga as much as I could and just painted and just did my thing and tried to figure out if this person, this guy is in any way capable of, you know, he was going to come for the birth and he wasn't. He was just totally random and, and just, you know, he was nice then he told turned 360 and he was a complete dick and kind of it's kind of good but it maybe would have been better if he had just remained a dick from the start because he was a dick then he was nice then he was a dick i'm just putting this in short so i don't have to to you know go into details so that's a good summary i think we yeah. can all relate to to that yeah, kind of behavior sure exactly and so then on the the birth yeah then during the pregnancy I actually I really was was trusting my my body and you know my doctor she said well you shouldn't the baby's really small and tender they she used the word tender I don't know what she meant by that because uh, it wasn't under you know, like a little chicken <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she was telling me, I told her I want to give birth at home. And she said, well, I don't recommend it. And I'm like, why? She's like, well, because I'm a doctor. Uh-huh. Which said, is, it, it, to be fair, this is exactly the argument. Well, I'm a doctor. I haven't been trained like that. So therefore, I don't recommend it. But well, the I said, I'm sorry, but if you told me a specific reason uh -huh. where you say there's a risk or something, then sure, I will listen to you because you, you're an expert in your field. I don't deny medical science, right? Um, but and also evidence yeah, proves that there's no more risk for someone who is low risk to birth at home. And somehow the yeah. outcomes are also might be more positive. So, yeah. In fact, yeah, from what, from my experience and the experiences, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about it. And I, I love to talk about my birth because it seems to be such a rare thing to have such a positive, incredibly positive and Unfortunately, transformative yeah. birth. And I think women deserve to have at least the informed choice 
about what is good for them and to have the possibility to decide. And, you know, it's great that we live in a time where there's ambulances, there's hospitals in, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not in any way denying. But you don't need to preach against it. I had my second baby at home. So, so I'm preaching to the converted here. Right. So, you know, exactly what I'm talking about, because if you've, you've had your first one in a hospital and your second at home, you can actually compare and, and, the difference yeah. is probably, I mean, is it in favor of the hospital or the home? No, no, but it also, I think it also fits who I am as a human and as a woman. And the first time I just felt stripped of my agency and the second time around, I, I didn't. And it was actually a far longer birth and I almost didn't make it. We actually called the ambulance because after X amount of hours, you know, it was, and I was like, okay, I was fine with it. And the baby was not a danger. It was just getting tired. And my midwife was like, Ariane, have this baby at home. And I pushed her out like from really high to out in a matter of probably a minute. And I just scooped her back in and walked back up to my bedroom. And the EMTs, the, the, the ambulance was like right there, the door, the front door was open. They were like, well, what do we do? And my midwife was like, you go back home. Bye bye. <laughs> and I just walked back up. And, and as you were mentioning, and it doesn't, you know, I feel it, it should be said because it's such a sensitive topic. It doesn't strip anybody from their experience. But for me as an individual, this is what I needed to become the to come into my power. This this really provided that to me. So I don't know about you if it costs for you. I I, I can't wait to hear. So I'm just going to let you <laughs> tell your birth. Yeah, I'm happy you said that because this is exactly, um, exactly my experience, really. I mean, literally, like I couldn't have said it better. It's about coming into my power and coming into your power as a woman. And again, that does not invalidate any other birth experience because it can happen in any way and in any way that it happens it's special it's sacred it's beautiful and it's just you know an amazing miracle and you know however it happens you know cesarean emergency cesarean hospital doesn't matter but i think women deserve the right to a choice and to the relevant information and so the opportunity if they choose to do so if they feel confident to do so to do this and i think this is also related to this fear of our bodies that is instilled in us you know there's this disconnection in our society between body and and heart and mind and we're just living in our heads so much of the time it's it's we're so not embodied and on all these screens you really need to ground yourself as well when you're working with because this is really like energy in the head this is heating from a yogic perspective this is just you know so much heat that actually we need to be working to bring the energy down more than working to bring it up you know like it's it's in a way it's easy nowadays to bring it up that's why i don't do headstands as well because actually we don't need it (laughs) we don't we don't need it and and nowadays in age like we don't need it so yeah i had a i had the the waters break on the friday and it was like really funny because my sister came to help me and she came on the friday right and on the sun, actually the sun saturday morning my waters broke (laughs) she arrived and my waters broke (laughs) and my mom left right my mom was with me I didn't want my mom to be there for the interesting I didn't I wouldn't have felt comfortable and she left and my mom left my sister came they had a day when they were both there and my waters immediately broke and this when my waters broke was actually more three three weeks and two days preterm okay Wow. Okay. So it was not like you were not expecting it any day. No, no. It was supposed to be like the 17th of August and it was the, the water broke on the 25th of August. So uh, 25th of uh, July. Sorry. July. Yeah. Yeah. And actually by German law, if it is more than three weeks preterm, it's considered an immature baby. Right. So luckily D, my doula and my midwife, uh, you know, they said, okay, look, we can, it's your responsibility, right? You have to be able to take the responsibility, but wait, because, and, and D had that experience too. She had one child at home by herself without a doula, without anything. 
and one child in the hospital, the first one in the hospital, second by herself. And she was also basing it on her experience that the reason why after the water breaks, they want you to, to go to a hospital within 24 hours is because they're afraid of infection. But there's a very easy way to check if you have an infection. You check your temperature every couple of hours. And if it's even slightly raised, then that's the signal that something's going on that's wrong. Also, you look at the water, right? If the water is transparent, it's fine. If it's if it's looking funny, then of course you got to immediately, you know, contact a medical professional, go to the hospital and so on. So in my case, it was just normal looking water. I was feeling fine. There was no temperature. So I was just from Saturday morning, I was trying to get the onset of labor to come and it just wouldn't start. I mean, I did a rave at home. Like I walked around I jumped around, I squatted, I did whatever exercises, practices, breathings, whatever, nothing. And so towards the evening of the, towards Sunday, Sunday midday, we decided that we're going to do a, like a little ritual in the park nearby to kind of make a prayer for the labor to start, because it was clear that if it doesn't start and if I don't give birth by the Monday morning, I will have to go to the hospital because we can't like we can only bend the rules so much. And, you know, we agreed I would also lie to the hospital if because otherwise the midwife would have a problem. Right. So we went to the park. We had a little ceremony. My sister took pictures. <laughs> I actually have pictures. I'm all naked with a belly and and doula and her the doula and D in her crawler costume. And we even have some videos and um yeah then we went to an indian restaurant and i ate some really spicy food <laughs> and that's when the labor started around eight in the evening on the sunday i could start i felt the labor and then we just came home and i was just in labor all all night but it was really yeah people say it's about pain or I didn't really experience it as, as, I mean, sure, you can say it's pain, right? But I, first of all, I've had so much menstrual pain, like this, this does phase me. I'm not, not, and, you know, I had kind of gotten rid of my menstrual pain through all my work until then. I was really, I had really like, you know, opened myself to this, this softness in me. And this is why I got pregnant. I wouldn't have gotten pregnant if I hadn't done all that work. And I had my body remember this pain, like sharp knives, actually giving birth wasn't like that because you, it's, it's kind of a purposeful. That's pain. what I was about to say. You know, you know, what's coming, you know, it's not just exactly. laying in the middle of the road and waiting to be hit by a truck. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is the menstrual pain. Yeah. And so I, I, I was just meditating with it and breathing with it and just, you know, it was wave after wave and it was just super chill I was in my bed my friend was drawing a kind of like channeling the spirits of my daughter on the on the on drawing which is the first drawing that my daughter owns it's above her bed it's really beautiful uh, it's got a lion and a frog and a snake and um, why all these animals well, because they're the animals that came, I knew there's a frog there. Actually, I had a vision in the sweat lodge a few months on my last vision quest. After the vision quest, it was a whole thing. But yeah, I had this whole experience connected with my womb and with some spirits. And then there was the spirit of the frog that came. And also the spirit of the stork, which in my culture is kind of like earth. It was looked like a stork or... It looked like a water bird in any case. Had yeah, no, no, yeah, we have the, somehow we have the same. Um, yeah, so it's, so yeah, I knew there's this and then the snake also. It's just her, her animals, I don't know, they, they came. This is amazing. Yeah, it's just, and she loves frogs and she's got her favorite toys, her Leo, like her lion. That's, you know, she's got loads of toys, but the favorite, she's going everywhere with the lion. So you know, cute. She's a Leo, so <laughs> it's true. I am too, so I relate to that a lot. Yeah. So yeah, around around four, I actually I went in the bathtub and then we called the midwife. And yeah, and then the only time that she checked my what's it called? Check the cervix. Cervix, the yeah. cervix opening was when she came and 
She's super lovely, experienced. She's from, from the Santo Daime community. So she's like a very spiritual person as well, Brazilian. And even though then, you know, it wasn't pleasant, right, to have my cervix checked. And I can imagine if I'm in a hospital and there's like every second hour somebody comes in and sticks their hand up there. And, oh, my God, this is for something that is not medically relevant. It's you know, it's, everybody knows it's just like as a provider because of the insurance, they have to do it. It's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It's like a rape, actually. It is. It does feel like that. doing it because mm -hmm. a good professional, the doula and the midwife, if they're good, they know, they can tell how much yes. dilation is yeah. going on. They don't need to, to stick their hand up. They can yeah. tell. And if they yeah. do, it's done with, for medical reason and with consent. And I had to do it with my, I, I asked for no cervical check and it turns out that the baby was not well positioned, which we would have known with a cervical check beforehand but I didn't want to and she respected that but when she did it she I led her hand so basically I was holding her hand while she was shaking me so it felt like I was in control of what was happening and for someone who's a survivor of multiple assaults it's it's everything it's everything to feel in control of your body and not being raped so yeah, yeah, yeah. so I totally agree with you yeah um, thank you for sharing that and I'm sorry you had that that experience yeah that's I hope the birth at home was a part of a healing process for you. It was. And this, what is happening right now is too. Yeah. Sharing stories is is definitely something that I, you know, this project is has brought me so much more than I could have translate. And I'm hearing you talk and I was like, can they just reopen the border so I can come and visit and we can go in a sweatshop lodge together and have visions together. That would be great. That would be great. I think I'm going to throw that into now. the universe and then yeah. we're going to make it happen. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so, so, I'm so touched. Like the whole project, like I find it so touching that you're doing this and just, we need this. We really need this. We need this to heal all this, you know, these generations of women yeah. all the way back who've been abused and disrespected and, and, you know, all sorts silenced and so on it's just you know we, we owe it to them and it's like you know i believe one of our main 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 functions is to to heal all these things like that's why we're here and you know we do it by healing ourselves and and then telling the stories yes like exactly a female thing right it's you know it's like sitting around the fire and telling stories with each other and just sharing and you know, this is how the energy flows and goes in a yeah. circle. And this is such a, such a healing the words. It's yeah, absolutely. So magical. So magical. I'm, I'm really happy to be connected with you. Me too. Me too. I, I felt it in your voice when I, I heard it. I heard you the first time I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, there's your art. It's full of vaginas. I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I got to talk to this person. There's no doubt about it. Okay, so they checked your cervix, and then what happened? Yeah, so she she checked my cervix, and it, there was like the head was already coming out, basically, like it was so open that like, and I wasn't doing anything. I just stayed in the bathtub and meditated for a few hours. I was I really I was just breathing and praying, and you know, just thinking about all my ancestors being with me at the time, and you know, all the future ancestors, and that I'm a future ancestor, and just you know just being in that flow and and super magical and psychedelic and just really deep and beautiful yeah i love that experience i really you know i know every birth's unique so i wouldn't you know expect that it would be the same if i were to have another child which i probably won't because i had a child at 41 first child and i think one for me is enough but yeah then i i just started having the the stronger the like proper labor contractions and then I turned into a lion <laughs> so I had a bit of a roar roaring action and a bit of pushing but to be honest I was a bit tired so we just thought okay I'm gonna go to sleep I did a few like pushing but not really so I mean I, I tried, right? I tried for like maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. And then was like, okay, it's, we're tired. I'm tired. So we just lay down all of us on the bed <laughs> and around 
eight i mean sleep i can't say i was sleeping you know that state between sleep and dream but this is such a favorite state because this is where where the dream world is right and yeah then around that at eight o'clock or maybe even 8 15 i i felt okay something's coming it's coming up i was just lying there just coming out by itself so i went to the toilet and i put my finger in and I realized she's like this her head is that far away from the exit like she's moved herself all the way like with my body all the way down without me doing anything like literally just I was just following my body so I just did did a push and she came out and like the midwife had to catch her it was so fast that I actually ripped a little bit because it was so fast it was like and she's like, like a oh little fish. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was on the toilet, right? It's so, the best place. I'm sorry. This is, toilets are the best place. So comfortable. I had two buckets, one under one leg, one under the other leg. And that was like, <laughs> I tried all sorts of poses, but like this yeah. turned out to be. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Did you do it on the toilet as well? I did labor on the toilet. I had her in the stairs, which is similar yeah, in the sense similar. that you yeah, squat yeah. and it's the yeah, same yeah, position yeah. but yeah I did I did transition in, in the bathroom on the toilet and you know I puked everywhere and it was my midwife just like unfat unfazed just like yeah. threw it away give it back to me it was glorious yeah but yeah she came out also like a little fish and then you're like oh my god yeah oh my god they're so cute and then it's so amazing you're holding this baby and you're like I'm a mother and you know for me it was the first time I was I'm a mother. Oh, this is my baby. Ah, I was crying, of course, and it was just this unbelievable, um, yeah, unbelievable feeling. Mm -hmm. So she stayed with the placenta for a while, and then when it stopped, I could like it stopped transmitting whatever nutrients. Then I cut it. It was nice that I got to cut it as well. It was really, yeah. yeah and then she slept with me and. The thing is, she was really lightweight, which is probably also why it was so easy to give birth. Like, I'm lucky, you know, I don't, you know, I don't tell people this is what they should expect. But it does was, exist. I think it should also put, be put in the realm of possibilities. These yeah, experiences sure. do for exist. Sure. For sure. And I know people, I'm not the only one, right? Yeah. But most people I know have had terrible i mean the stories i've heard yeah my, my ex-girlfriend told me because we we gave birth more or less the same time she went into the hospital and the first thing she saw was 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 a uh, stillbirth mm. why are they even showing that what, what is it doing this is bulgaria right but mm -hmm. why is the little the, the little dead child there like it's just ridiculous and then while she was in labor oh they God. said Oh, I hope it doesn't happen like with the stillbirth. They were talking about the stillbirth while she was in labor. Sure. And then she, I think she got freaked out by that. And then eventually she had to, they told her she's not pushing right and she's doing it all wrong. And they mm -hmm. basically cut her in the end. And then her daughter had an infection mm -hmm. from all the poking hands inside her 20 times. And, you know, she had to drink antibiotics on the first day of her life and be separated from her mother. And, and this is, I yeah, hear this awful. again and again and again and again. Yeah. And Bulgaria is like the country with the worst, one of the worst ratios of, of cesareans per to, to natural births in Europe, mm -hmm. because they just think, you know, it, they just think it's easier for them to cut. Yeah. So that's what they do. Yeah, the they US is pretty bad them. too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just more convenient. Are you in Canada, right? I'm in, in D.C., so I'm in U.S. I immigrated to the United States. So I was born in Montreal, raised in Montreal, too. But I'm in the U.S. now. So it, this is what catalyzed it. Moving to America turned me... Like, I was already pretty radical. But coming here, I was like, oh, right. Okay. Now now I understand why you need to, to fight so hard for everything. Because y'all are crazy. You're crazy. You're not human. Yeah, I know. I've lived in America. I went to school in, in New York. I like I I know about this. This I was shocked living in America. Yeah, there's a lack of humanity. Yeah, it's totally, totally. But Bulgaria, in some ways, is no. I mean, in some ways, it's worse. It's like just yeah. another another thing, and they treat you like a piece of a slab of meat. There's no respect, also from the women that are there. Of course, you know, yeah. it's not just it's it's. You know, patriarchy is also transmitted by women. This is something of we course. have observed, right? 
even more violently actually it's proven gynecologists who are female are more likely to cause harm to other to yeah. the birding person some kind of preparation so i know we're tight on time so i want i want to get to your postpartum period i'm sorry it cut so i think i over i talked over yeah no no yeah i'm telling you about what so okay so in go the ahead postpartum, so there was this big worry right that that she if she drops under she was two kilos and 200 grams and if she dropped under two kilos they would have to take her to the hospital and put her in, in an incubator which after such a fabulous birth would have been such a miserable thing to, to happen to me and to her and so i didn't get any cholesterol or any milk right away and we started feeding her with a little little syringe with with you know powdered with formula right and then the, my first like disaster odyssey, so to speak, I don't want to call it a disaster, but it felt like one uh, was with the breastfeeding, right? So I, I have a thing, I hate people touching my nipples sexually. I do not find it arousing. I, in fact, I find it actually very, very, very irritating. I mean, it can be touched a little bit, but in you know, maybe sometimes it can arouse me, but most of the time people fiddling with my nipples it's just, I just put, it just thinking about it just makes me feel like, like a cat, you know, how cats get when they're all like, yeah, it's actually a physi- physiological syndrome. I don't want to say a, a, an illness because this isn't it, but it's physiological. And a lot of women yeah. have that and breastfeeding, it becomes really challenging. Yes. I, and I have that and, and I tried, and then she was too small to suck and she was too, didn't have the strength. And she always also already had gotten used to the syringe. And, and it was this, I even went to this consultant and she was just telling me, Oh, you're just not trying hard enough. If you really want it, you'll succeed. And she was like, actually, I didn't find her supportive at all because, and she was supposed to be super good. She was recommended to me and and like, you don't tell me that, you know, you can't tell me that if I really want, it's like, it's like these people telling you, if you really want to be rich and you believe in the positive, then you're going to be rich. Fuck off. Like, this is, you know, like law of attraction bullshit. Like, don't give me that. This it's is toxic bullshit. positivity. It's you know, it's, toxic it doesn't positivity. serve anybody. Nobody. It's capitalist. It's toxic. It's shit. And this was just, bl- it's kind of like blaming the victim, right? I, yeah. I wasn't a victim, but blaming, you know, yeah, blaming sure. the person for their misfortune. And I felt like a misfortune. I felt really guilty. I felt really bad. You know, I felt like, because I, I know that mother's milk is the best. It's not something you have to convince me of, you know, I'm confident it's the best. I'm still sure that it's the best, you know, but like they say, fed is best. And I felt so bad. I tried to 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 get her you know to suck for it at some point this woman said try for six hours i'm sitting there six hours she's not i'm just try, like with my tits out and like the baby and crying she's crying because she's hungry but she still doesn't want to suck and and i got so frustrated and i you know i'm a fairly i'm quite a nervous person and, and it's such a know, vulnerable moment such a vulnerable moment i got mad at the baby as well like i was like hey I had to leave her and go to the other room, right? This was really... It does feel like the end of the world. Yeah, I was feeling... That was terrible. All your yeah. hormones are going here and there and everywhere. And, and and this is not working. And then I get all these, oh, but you should try. And all these try like well-being friends as well that, mm. you know, because it's good for you and you have to try. And it's so good for the baby and you have to try. It's, but you obviously did try. <laughs> Right, but I felt so judged as well. Like because I know people have been judged for 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 breastfeeding. Also, there are people who've been judged for not breastfeeding, and I think both of these things are totally fucked. Excuse my language, but like this is, you know, exactly. So I, you know, eventually, and then I realized also it triggered a trauma. Like I remembered why maybe I have this thing with my nipples as well. And it's kind of connected to like one of these pedophiles because at the same time that the guy was trying to do something with me, I had my mind, like I was just reaching, I wasn't in puberty yet, but I was in the process. So my nipples were coming out and they were really rubbing on the shirt, on my shirts all the time. And it hurt. 
And this was the same time that this guy was. So somehow my, I, I realized while I was trying to breastfeed her, I made the connection that this is where this, this breastfeed, this nipple thing comes from, which didn't, didn't get rid of it. And frankly, I can live with that as well. Like that's, you know, the problem is not the nipples, right? But this is also why trauma-informed care is so important in the birth, but also postpartum, because this period yeah. is where um, trauma tend to re-emerge because you're such in a vulnerable state. You, your body is at the forefront of everything yeah. and it all comes back and your defense mechanisms are just not there anymore. So this yeah. is when it happens. It's well-documented that, yeah, yeah. that this is when trauma arises again and PTSD too from it. So it's, yeah. it's very unfortunate that it happened to you and I'm, I'm really sorry. It's awful. Yeah, I, I actually... Yeah, because you're you're first of all you touch your pussy right and you're like mm. what is this what happened to it you mean yeah exactly oh yeah it's all swollen yeah <laughs> it's big as 10 bananas i don't know the inside of a melon or something i don't know it, it feels weird yeah it's huge it's swollen it's bleeding it, your butt hurts like oh, you yeah. got stitches mm-hmm. and it's just you know, and actually in Germany, you have a postpartum care, right? But it's... What is it? It's so the, the, the medicine, the medicine, the midwife, she comes like every day, the first few days to take care of you and the baby. So this is really, really useful. And then she can talk to you. And then, then she starts caring, coming less and less. So actually, I'm lucky that I'm in Germany because most places do not have this and to be honest i think in germany there's also more of a need for this because okay the first week is okay but you actually you know i i think in holland they have it the best because the the midwife or the the doula that comes after the birth right because my friend she couldn't she did it for free she's a teacher you know she she would have loved to support me more after but she just couldn't she kept she came as much as she could right and she did support me she did her best but She's got two kids. She's got a you know job from like eight to four and so on. And in in Holland, and I'm, I had my sister, right? She was cleaning and, and cooking, and that was super nice. How long did she stay? Um, she stayed for a month. Oh my god, this is I'm amazing! I'm so lucky. I'm lucky because as a solo parent, alone, like I have a friend who's about to give birth. She's alone in another town with two dogs honestly I'm like super worried about her and there's nothing I can do to help I tried to organize somebody to take the dogs I'm not sure if that worked out and she's also you know not such an easy character to deal with neither am I right that's nothing you know but what I'm saying is it's not so easy when you're maybe some people are kind of angry at you for whatever or Mm -hmm. You know, and also this still we deserve all, support after giving. We birth. all deserve support. Yeah. I, if I didn't have a child, and I'm I'm in another city. I'm in Berlin. She's in another city. Mm-hmm. I would have totally been there and and calm and clean for her. But I just there's physically no way I can do it. Yeah. Right. And the only people that told her, and she was saying, you know, I feel so bad. People are telling me, look. I want to help you, but I can't because I have a child. <laughs> All the people who showed compassion and wanted to help were solo moms. Yeah, because you understand. Nobody else. <laughs> because we all understand what she needs. And her parents are in Belarus. She's from Belarus. Borders are closed. I mean, you know, Belarus is a dictatorship. Yeah. They can't just come. So it's like, it's really, yeah, it's really, really... So yeah, I was lucky, but I think, I think what it should be for women, I think there should be someone coming to clean as well. Mm-hmm. And there should be someone checking your mental well-being well after that period, because in my experience, I, I don't think I had postnatal depression, but I definitely had postnatal mental crisis, mental health crisis. Because it took way? Well, it took me a while to even accept the fact that I'm a mother because it's one thing in theory, but it's another thing to realize, okay, well, now everything's upside down. You don't have your time. You don't have, right? This is the the kind of shadow side of motherhood. And I really like to to talk about this and and kind of my work is a lot about this right now because, you know, you realize that, you know, all the kind of aspects of yourself that are 
deemed selfish or that you deem yourself to be selfish they come to the fore because you are an individual you do need your own fulfillment um, you need to do you need to feel also comfortable in your body you look at your body your body looks like shit you have no time for or you think it looks like shit right there's a beauty in it but i'm just saying what the the, the standard mind you know i'm being brutally honest here i looked at myself and i thought that's terrible i look awful i'm ugly I'm, you know, I've always been in shape. I've done, you know, all these things for my body and fire performance. And God knows, I've, you know, I was looking good. And I never complained really about my body so much. And then I was looking like this, not the same person. You have to accept that. Learn to love yourself the way you are. This is, of course, not, doesn't, doesn't, you know, take one day. It takes a lot of work. And then also just looking at all these, you know, videos with exercises and these women who look like, you know, they probably, they, they like, they've never given birth or they gave birth when they were 18, <laughs> you know, when your body is just like, you know, 41, fuck's sake. And, um, and then they're telling you, yeah, you can do it. You just need to put the time. And, and I'm thinking, when, when can I put the time? What when? time? Yeah. What time? And so this was a real big crisis. And that's how I started doing the panties and the, the scarves, actually, because I, I needed to make art, but I couldn't do oil painting. I couldn't do, uh, you know, I, I, I was a VJ before. Uh, obviously, I cannot go VJ postpartum. And there was COVID. I'm also a filmmaker. Filmmaking is a, a whole other thing, right? Super laborious process. And so what I could do was paint panties and I, I also painted silk scarves with these vulva vagina dentatas because this is kind of how I, I, I transformed this frustration that I had with this, you know, with this shock of becoming a mother because becoming a mother is actually a shocking thing. And this is, is the thing that is not talked about, you know, this is the thing that's sugar-coated. This is the thing that is presented as, you know, if you talk about it, you're seen as selfish, you're seen as someone who is you know, not a good enough mother. And, you know, I'll tell you a secret. One thing I realized at one point she was maybe six months old and she, she's not a big cry baby, but it's just, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky with her, but you know, like I said, my nerves, I'm, I'm borderline bipolar. I'm not diagnosed or anything. I don't need to, because I think we could all be diagnosed. And I think it's, it's mostly a, an imbalance of energy leading to an imbalance of chemicals. So again, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be taking pills if that's making them feel bad. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm no, not, no, I know what you mean. You know, I'm, I'm all for holistic and spiritual and stuff like that, but I would never impose that on anyone and never judge people. And I never think that, you know, if people think it's right to drink lithium, and it helps them then I, you know this is what helps them this is so i'm i'm not one to say but i'm just saying that i'm not i really need the daily practice to be stable this is one of the things i need for and, i'm with you on that yes yeah and 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 when you don't have it then you start losing the stability you start yeah. getting and then at some point she was crying and i was just I realized I, I started, I, you know, I thought, who are these people shaking their babies? Mm -hmm. I couldn't even understand how you could shake a baby. I read about it. I'm like, who does that until it crosses your mind? Very I wouldn't shake. Yeah. I did. It didn't cross my mind. I did it. I was shaking. I, I stopped when I realized what I was doing. Right. But she was crying and I just got so mad and I just went, I shook her three times. Right. And then I stopped and I apologized and I cried and, everything's fine with her right i didn't do any damage she was also already older she was over six months she could hold her head mm -hmm. so i didn't i don't think i actually put her in danger but i realized in this very moment that inside me is a creature who can be a killer and this is i've known this in theory right i have no doubt that all of us can in in circumstances be killers we all have the light and the dark, right? Mm -hmm. and, or the, the shadow and the, the light, whatever. I, I just don't like this black and white thing, right? But you know sure. what I mean. There's a variation have, there, yeah. Yeah, we have a potential. We also have a gradation, right? There's a lot of the gray. We mostly mm -hmm. live in gray most of the time. But Thankfully. I realized, <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully. Uh, I realized that I'm absolutely capable and it is just a moment of inattention on my part that separates me from doing something faithful, horrible, and awful, right? And, and this was a sh like this was a realization that was, you know, in a way, I'm still like a year later. I'm still 
still digesting it because I realized I'm a murderer. I couldn't be a murderer, right? I didn't do it. But it's good to know your dark sides. It's good to know what you're capable of. It's good to know that you're that you're capable because it's human, right? So I have to follow this. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Of but, and it's also primal. It's very primal. And it's so I've had this conversation with many people. No one has ever come on the record to say it. And I feel it's incredibly brave that you are talking about it because that moment where you just grab your baby too hard or you twist it three, four times a little too fast. It happens more than we think. It doesn't make us monsters, but it deserves to be talked about. So then, as you say, like that, that little fine line that we might cross is not crossed because we don't feel like it's so shameful and taboo and, you know, shame foster shame. So I'm, I'm really, I don't know, about you <laughs> for talking about it because this is not this is not an easy topic and it's actually as I said not something that anyone has agreed to to talk so openly about and I am very grateful for that yeah well I'm happy that I can share that with you because I think it's important to yeah. talk about this like this is not a secret right no I I, I don't want this to be a secret because I'm not ashamed of it I, I was for a while ashamed of it, right? I went through a whole process with it. You know, I, I was very ashamed of it. I thought I'm a terrible mother. And, you know, I judged myself for it. You know, I, like I said, I apologized to her endlessly. And I'm, I'm not the best mother, I'm sure, right? I'm, you know, I don't claim to be the best mother. I can only do the best that I can do. And, and I, I'm a firm believer in, in if the mother is not feeling well, if she's not in her center, and if, if her well-being is not taken care of, there is no way the child will have a good childhood, a good life. A good, it's important. It's not a joke. It's not selfish. No, it's fundamental. It's, it's fundamental. It's actually basic addressing and and I just I'm just so shocked at looking at all these laws, all these things that always, okay, the child comes first. Yeah, the child comes first, but the mother and the child in these first years, they are inseparable. Mm -hmm. The mother has to come first as well. Mm -hmm. You cannot say the child comes first and ignore the mother's needs. You can't separate it. No. You can't. You, can't. you cannot. And I yeah, it took me a year to really come into motherhood and come into my power really it's, it's taken me a year and i'm sure it's it's gonna be a long process all my life probably mm -hmm. 